I hope that visually gave you kind of a picture of all the preparation. Think about it. All the preparation that went into that Christmas presence, that coming of our Lord and Savior. I'm going to ask you just to take a moment and let's just bow our heads before the Lord. Father, we invite you to speak to our hearts. And I ask, God, that you will take these words and apply them to the hearts and lives of people and to speak where only you can speak, to, to address places of need or places of, of areas of our life that need to be brought in line with you. Whatever it is, God, I pray that you would take these words and for us as a people to hear you and to grow in you. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. You know, I think of preparation and I think of all the work that, that God the Father goes into and went into to prepare for the coming of his son. And, and I was thinking about that and thinking about this whole series of the Christmas presents. The greatest present that you'll be able to give to anyone is his presence. And that's really what I want us to kind of think about and concentrate as we go through this this series uh, in the weeks to come. But preparation, when you think about it, is really a sign of love. I mean, you may. How many went to someone else's house this Thanksgiving, just sat down at the table and enjoyed the good food? OK. How many sat and really thought about all the time that went into preparing that and making that to be so special as it is? A few of you. Good. I am. Um, was thinking about this message and I was thinking about with regard to the preparation in our own home for Christmas. We're a Christmas home. There are some Christmas homes, right? You know, where you really get into Christmas. Um, and for years, I enjoyed all the preparation that my wife did to get our home to look really, really wonderful and beautiful. And and I enjoyed it to an extent. And then I had to be honest, after the first service, I didn't say this first service, but, you know, throughout some of those times, it was I didn't have the best attitude. But I never did much of the preparation. I just kind of watched it all take place and many times didn't even see what was going on. My wife and my daughters are involved in doing that. So this week and preparing for the message and I was struck because the last couple of years with my girls away, I've stepped up and chosen to do what I've been preaching on, to be grateful and chose joy to enter into the preparation of all this. And I've really had a wonderful time. But I got to tell you, I didn't realize how much love went into making this place what it was. You see, you have to understand that over the years, um, there are clearance sales, you know, that go on. And so you can pick up things. So at one point we picked up a bunch of poinsettias or poinsettias. What do you say? Settias or settas? How many say settas? Okay, how many say poinsettias? Ooh, a little closer this time. Uh, Setters usually win. But anyway, so we have all these poinsettias around the house, 18 of them. <clears throat> silk. They're silk. You know, got them like a, for a buck piece. We have about 14 wreaths from green to gold to brown to red. We have a, a bunch of Christmas trees, small and large, lots of small ones all around the house. And a bunch of what I call Christmas bears, even a couple Santa bears. Remember some of those Santa bears? You got a Dayton's. Anybody remember getting those Dayton Santa bears? And and that's just a bit of it. And it's just all and it's just this beautiful 
ambiance of this presence of Christmas. And I shared with my wife, who was his first service, I just, I didn't realize how much thought and time and how much love went into that until I began to help prepare and saw and experienced it. And yet I think about it as serious as we take Christmas at our house to prepare for it. It pales in comparison to all the preparation that God has done for you and me to experience his presence, especially his presence at Christmas. You know, by definition, God is omnipresent, right? God is always present, everywhere present. But when we talk about Christmas in this sense, we're talking about something really special. It's what I call the manifest presence of God. It's the kind of presence where you actually feel God. First John, the author John, the disciple, says it this way, that we heard, we, we saw, we felt, we actually almost tasted this presence of God, this glory among us, this, this one who shows up in our midst. And he even begins his gospel by talking about the word became flesh and, and lived for a while among us, the glory of the one and only begotten son. Manifest, present, felt. And I was thinking about that whole idea. It wasn't something haphazardly put together. There was plans and preparation. In fact, we read in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, just a little bit of the idea behind it. Paul says, you know, this was not just something that just spontaneously happened. This manifest felt presence of God in this world was something prepared by God. He says, but when the set Time had fully come when it ripened, when it came to maturity. The age was, in a sense, pregnant for this birth of the manifest presence of God. God sent his son. Born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit calls out. And here's the important thing to recognize. It calls out, our spirit calls out, using the Aramaic word Abba, which is the word Dada. This very personal kind of expression that says, Dada, Father, you're here. You're in our midst. There are times when God shows up in such ways with such impact that you can only go, wow, God's here. Some of you have experienced that in your life. Where you, you just go, wow, I just felt the presence of God. Paul at one point states that it should be like that when a person walks into the church, a person who's hungry, seeking, searching, wanting to know God. In fact, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 24 and 25, if an unbeliever or an inquirer, someone who's coming into your midst while everyone is prophesying, he's talking here about this fact that a person speaks forth the word of God in such a way sometimes that what the person says actually goes right to the heart of what that person is thinking or feeling or says something that's right describes something in their life. And he says, as their prophet, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their heart are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, wow, God's here. That's amazing. This place, I went to it and, and, and they began, and, and the person who was speaking from the pulpit said things that would, my heart, I mean, just Burned within my heart. There are those times 
when you come into the presence of God, you can only say, wow. And one of those times is when Jesus came. So there are those times in our life when when God will show up and, and God wants, I think, us as his people to have wow moments because he's so concerned that we will know and others will know his presence. He wants us to be regularly aware of that. So I, I thought one of the things we could do is to practice that as a group, to, you know, just to say that, you know, so let's just think about it. Here is God. He comes up and he shows up in flesh. He he is born as a baby and he he appears to a bunch of shepherds who are out in the field and they see this glory and they come and they're going, wow, God's here. And they come to this baby and they see all these people and they're gathered around him and they say, and I'm going to say on three, I want you to say, wow, with me. One, two, three. Wow. But you know what? I, when I was going through this in my mind, and I told this the same thing the first service, I didn't expect such a good wow. And I didn't even expect that from you. But I want you to think through it again. Here it is. God is present. He shows up to these angels. His glory is manifest. The weight of His presence is here. He is present with you in a way that you feel and experience, and you know Him. Your love deep in your being. You see Him. You experience it. And you go one, two, three. Wow. Yeah, that's what God wants us to know. Now, I recognize there are times when you walk in a wilderness. There are times where your soul experiences darkness. When God feels distant and when he does feel distant, there's things that God is doing. Often he's doing things in our heart. He's preparing us. He's actually taking our faith and saying, I want you to live as if I'm present. I want you to know I really am present, even though you don't see me, experience me, hear me, feel me, or even taste my presence in your being. What I want you to do is I'm going to exercise this muscle of faith. And that's a good thing and a hard thing. But that's not what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the fact that I think God wants to show up a lot of times in our life in such a way that we feel his presence and we go, wow. And we live in the wow of his presence, knowing there'll be times when we don't. And when I thought about it, I thought the only way I could be as I was processing through this, I thought one of the things that would be helpful to do is to look at God's intention and see how he has been preparing his love. If we could understand how deeply he loves us, he prepared this world so that we could live in the wow of his presence. And then he began um, as he he did that. He, he, we're told in Genesis it's the best place to you look in Genesis and you see he comes. And the Bible states in Isaiah 66, verse one. The Lord says this, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. The whole idea when you get into Genesis 1 is that he's preparing this earth and this earth is to be his temple. The place where he lives and breathes and his presence is known and felt throughout all of it. So he begins and he starts to create because he wants this place to be full of his glory. He wants it to be this eternal expression of one, two, three. Yes. So. God begins to create this thing. He, he tells us, as the psalmist says, when I consider the universe and work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you set in place, I look at this creation. I can't help when my spirit awakes to it, when my eyes are open to it, when, when I'm willing to see, my spirit goes, wow. And he continues in Genesis 1 to create the earth with all its beauty, the mountains and the oceans and the forests and the prairies and and, and the deserts and all kinds of things. And when your spirit is open, your heart is willing and and, and you can see with the eyes of your spirit, you can't help but look at that majesty and go, wow. 
And God continues to create because he's creating on this earth. He's creating this temple where he will show up in all his presence through all, all creation. And so he continues to dazzle with a variety of animals. His creative genius is known. I just, his engineering skills are in place. All the things about God are shown in the variety of shapes and sizes and colors and the way our body works and, and the way those things heal and everything else. And all which our spirit, when we see it, we exclaim, wow. And then God creates all these hot people. You and me. You may not think you're hot, but in the eyes of God, you are. These fascinating people whom he has created that you will bear his image. And then when you look into their eyes, you see something of God. And you look into their heart and you go, wow. And then there's a moment where it looks like in Scripture. And I have to share with you, I'm thankful to a professor from Wheaton. His name is John Walton with a book that he uh, published not too long ago called The Lost World of Genesis 1. He helped me see a truth that I hadn't seen before. Because usually I'd go through that and it looked like the high point was the creation was, was you know, he does all these things and then here's man and, and woman and he creates man and, and man can't find a companion suitable for him. So at one point God just says, you know, all the animals go by him and nah, nah, none of these fit. And so then God creates a woman and when God brings the woman and Adam together, Adam, it, the Hebrew actually is the idea, says, wow, this is one I can relate to. And that, that was kind of like in my mind always the high point and then it's this whole thing like you know anybody tracking with me here you, you kind of think god worked really hard he's this creative artist he's done and he's just tired and he needs a nap right and he just rests that's not how they understood it in that day genesis chapter one when it concludes with this idea of the this day of rest wasn't a anticlimactic thing at all it was that god had set up his presence the wow of his presence and then what he was doing he was actually moving into his temple on earth and i think about it he moves into in a sense his summer home and you think of this is if the temple here is like his footstool to the heavens just imagine what heaven's like and he moves into this place in order that his presence will be filling the earth. And people are going, can you believe it? The God of a whole universe created all this stuff lives with us. That's the whole idea. It's a sense of, wow, for eternity, God is going to be with us. And all these things that we see are ours. And then at a certain point. God had intended to rule through his people, the image. And he, we were to reign with him and at a certain point. We said, no. And we we said, you know, I'm, I'm not going to let you rule with your presence through my heart. And so God has to start saying, OK, I'm going to I intend to and I will. I will rule and I will reign and my wow, eternal presence will be here at some point. So he begins to prepare this great work of preparation. And so he starts to build a temple again. And this temple that he's building is through a people and it's to be in a city and it's to be particularly in a building. And he prepares all this all the way through it. And so that you get to this point, you have the preparation of this temple earth where God was to reign. It doesn't happen. So now he prepares this temple in Jerusalem. And, and, and the preparation for it is amazing. God planned this temple. And David says in First Chronicles chapter 22, verse 5, he says, The house to be built for the Lord should be of a great magnificence and fame and splendor in the sight of all the nations. 
Now, that's the whole point of putting this temple here, is once again, the, the wow felt manifest presence of God would be here among a people. And, and so David says, I'm going to make, this needs to be something that dazzles the world so people can see it. That's the whole intention of God living among us, is that we might see him and carry his presence. That's what these people were to do. So David says, he goes ahead, and in, in his scripture he says, therefore I will make preparations for it. So David makes extensive preparations before his death. And he, and he gets people in skilled positions. He, he hires craftsmen and gets them all lined up. He, he gets building material from countries around Israel as well as his own country. He develops a labor force who's going to work on it. He actually takes his own finances and asks other people to give as well so that they give gold, silver, and all kinds of gems for this temple that it will be a magnificent display of the presence and glory of God. And then he brings Levites and priests and he trains singers and he trains instrumentalists so that they will all be there. And when people would see and come to this place, they would see God is here. And then we read about Solomon and his preparation and work. First Kings chapter six, verse one says this in the four hundredth and eightieth year after the Israelites had come out of Egypt in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, he began to build the temple of the Lord. And first Kings goes on a little bit later in verse 38, says this in chapter six in the eleventh year. The temple was finished in all its detail according to its specifications. All that preparation of God throughout history now through these two men. And it says he had spent seven years building it. Now, I think this is kind of, just kind of a little aside. If you go on one verse later in chapter 7, verse 1, as he continues on, it's quite telling about Solomon's heart. It says it took Solomon, this is what it says, it took Solomon 13 years, however, to complete the construction of his palace. That's kind of an interesting thing. I thought to myself, seven years God palace, 13 for Solomon's. And at first I kind of want to be really judgmental and kind of go, yeah, I can't believe that. And then I thought to myself, you know, is the Chronicler telling us something about our own selfish priorities? Is the Chronicler kind of using Solomon to point to our own heart? How often do I in, get, in, give more time and energy and thought to my interest than I do about wanting to bear the presence of God so people can see him? Do I put two to one effort into that? You know, the whole purpose of the creation is that people could go, wow, God is something and we could live in the midst of it and we choose not to. So God comes to a people and he comes to a city and he comes to this building called the temple. And he once again, his presence is here so that people will see the magnificence of it and will go, wow. They were to be a bearer of the presence, to carry this sense of God so people could see and feel and touch and understand that God was with them. Now catch this, 1 Kings 8.10 says God's presence then comes to this home that they built, that they prepared. And there's this what I call wow moment. The priests bring the ark into the most holy place. They place it on the wings under the cherubim. And the writer says this. There was nothing in the ark except two stone tablets that Moses had placed in it at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant, a promise with the Israelites after they came out of Egypt. Now catch this. When the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud. Some say that they were flat on their face because of this incredible presence of God. The glory was so great as it filled the temple. They were so overcome that they couldn't even with their lips say, wow. But everything in their body was lying flat on the floor saying, 
Oh, man, this is incredible. Second Chronicles in seven verses one through three says it this way. The glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priest could not enter the temple, of the Lord, because the glory had filled it. And when all the Israelites saw fire coming down in the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they said, wow, they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying he's good. His love endures forever. And this is real telling. Listen to the final words of Solomon as he dedicates it. May the Lord our God be with us as he is with our fathers. May he never leave us and forsake us. May he turn our hearts to him to walk in his ways so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is no other. He's always wanted everyone to know, to experience, to live, to feel his presence. And yet God's optimate plan wasn't to live in a building in a place. And what I think is really interesting is, is God chose to be one place in one time in one city among one people. And, and if you look at all the cultures and religions of the world, especially back then, they had many different temples because God could live everywhere. But God made a rule. He said, no, I'm only one God. I want to show up in one place and I want people to see me in this one place because God had one other thing in mind. He was preparing things because he wasn't going to live in a building. He wanted to live in a person so we could know him and relate to him. So he comes in this person, Jesus. But all the preparation, think of all the preparation that goes into Jesus coming. He's been working through this so that at a certain point, prophets start to give hints to the fact that someday Jesus is going to come. His presence will be here in such a manifest way that we will all go, wow. So Jeremiah predicts that God will rise, raise up a righteous branch from David and he'll reign and save Judah. Ezekiel prophesies about a coming shepherd, one who will bring new life from dead bones. And Micah proclaims a ruler who will come from a little town of Bethlehem. And Dave, Daniel prophesies about the Son of Man, the time of his coming, where a kingdom will be set up that will never end. And then some 700 years before, in Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah says, and he has a bunch of prophecies around this. He says, a voice calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord who bring good tidings to Zion. Go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice and shout. Say to the towns of Judah, here's your God. The sovereign Lord comes with power. And then it ends in Malachi in the Old Testament, predicting one who will be a forerunner who precedes Jesus, all this preparation. And then 400 years before Jesus comes, it gets silent. There's not a word. No prophet, no visions, no miracles, no revelation. It's just quiet. It's still. As Mike Brinkman says, crickets. Our administrative pastor, he will say crickets when it's quiet. That's what it was. And then God begins to reveal his glory. Someone asked me, well, why was he quiet? I think God often gets quiet before he wants us to really hear his voice. He sometimes removes himself so that we can hear clearly. He puts in our hearts in anticipation. He starts working so that he can begin to deliver. And all of a sudden it says that God begins to make his presence felt. An angel visits with a forerunner. Parents, Zachariah and Elizabeth, and an angel visits to a young girl named Mary. And, and through a dream, an angel visits Joseph. And then a star studied by some wise Eastern men, astronomers, begin a journey. 
And an angel choir lights up the skies and sings hallelujah to a whole bunch of blue cross, uh, blue collar um, shepherds. And Jesus is born in God's presence and glory shines through a baby. And it's just starting. And then some 30 years later, think about it. The light show really begins. Because as he's about 33, 30 years of age, the real light begins to show as he does signs and wonders and miracles. He heals people. He teaches people. And people start going, wow, this is amazing. This, this Jesus heals people. This Jesus is able to take demonic spirits and, and just expel them and tell them to go. This Jesus is amazing. When he starts teaching, you start wondering. It's not like our seminary professors. It's like this guy knows the Father in heaven. He speaks as if it's from him himself. And they're just going, Wow. And then, after you see this light show, it reminds me kind of like the 4th of July. You know when the fireworks, and you've been seeing these light shows, and you've been kind of anticipating it, and it all's going off, and all of a sudden it gets a little bit quiet for a moment? And then you have the final act. And you have this final act of Jesus. It's just incomprehensible. Jesus dies. It looks like the show is over. It looks like the glory is gone. And it looks like the presence is no longer present until three days later, there's this explosion of light and the unimaginable glory of God occurs. And this glory comes in such a way that it has marked all history forever. Everything has been touched by it. And here you have this progression of the preparation of God. He wants to show up in all creation. We, in a sense, are to be bearers, carriers of his presence and we refuse to do it so he comes through a people and, and through this people he builds a temple and in this temple he shows himself in all magnificence but it wasn't for the purpose of living in a building he wanted to be in a person and in this person he wanted to make it possible that all people could see him and that we would be drawn to the light of his presence and his love and his glory and we would say I would be open to receive and to know I want to look at myself and see myself and understand myself and, and know my sin and repent of it that I might once again, bear the presence of God. And then he does this amazing thing. He says the whole preparation wasn't just that this, this building would be there and it would be through this person, but the whole pre- preparation was that you and I would be people who would now be temples who would bear this presence everywhere. That we would be carriers of this presence. I used to think about that, you know, when I think about, you know, the preparation of God's presence in the glory of a people, his church, not a building, but his people. God moving not into a building, but he moves into a person. And now Jesus says, I, if you read John 15 and 16, it's amazing. Jesus at one point goes, you know, guys, it's going to be better if I go. And they're going, what? You got to leave? Anybody ever felt that way when you, you hear Jesus is teaching and, and he's telling his disciples, I'm going to have to die, I'm going to leave, but when I leave, it's going to be better for you. And you're kind of going, you scratch your head, you know, how would it be better for you to be gone? And he says, the whole purpose of the Father and the whole purpose of myself as a son and the whole intention of the Holy Spirit was that you would become temples. Because the whole purpose, the whole intention was that the glory of God would fill the earth and he would fill it through the hearts of these people. So that someday he would do the same work through this whole process of preparation. And out of deep love, he wanted to come so that he could bear his presence through you and through me. And that we'd be carriers of this presence everywhere we go. Wow. That amazes me. That amazes me that God would do that. And I always found that teaching so difficult until I began to realize over the last few years. We are living out God's intention. 
if we're willing to open our hearts and be bearers of his presence. You are made in such a way that you hold the presence of God. You are a temple that is magnificent and wonderful and incredible. And you are made in such a way that you alone can only impact the life of some others that are around you. God had intended it. God has you there. God has put you there. He has placed you there so that as you live and you um, experience life and as you uh, hunger for Him and ask for His presence to fill you, He begins to touch people around you. And I was thinking about this and I, 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 I began to think about the different ways that, that God shows up. And, and, and one of the ways, um, I, as I started to get some of these emails, I started to think to myself, this is kind of cool how God does this. I, I met with a person this last week who's been coming to the church for now just a few times over the last year and just sat down with me and wanted to meet and wanted to talk and shared with me the fact that um, five years ago, his life, in a sense, tanked and, 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 and he lost his wife and, and his family was split up and, and lost the company and business that he had. And, and, and those next four years were really difficult. He said, but a year ago, a year ago, I experienced the grace of God. In one of these wow moments where God came in and changed his life. And I got thinking to myself, you know what? Some of you are maybe in a similar situation where you feel like it's been 400 years of silence, right? I've gone through those times. There are some of those times. You know what God is doing? God is doing things to prepare things for us to meet him. There are times what he's doing is our hearts aren't even ready yet to receive. And I just tell you, as you go through some of those times that you might be in one of those situations, God is preparing for him to show up. And he's just saying, keep seeking, keep moving, keep moving towards me. I want you to know and I want to demonstrate my presence before you. And I was thinking about it as well. You, you know, sometimes I, I so want God's presence that I'm going to try and, 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 and determine an outcome. And I kind of do if I do this, God, if I go this way, then maybe, you know, you'll show up in a way that will. You know, make a difference. And, and, and I, I received this this note from someone on Thursday of November 21st. It was the first day. It was a, the first Thursday after this series that I have been started on gratefulness. And uh, the person was sharing with me about their circumstances. And I, I thought to myself, how often do I want my circumstances to go a certain way, hoping that God will show up in the way that I want this outcome? And then God starts taking me down another path. And it's not the one I really want. Anybody ever felt that way before? And this person says to me, you know what, I've got to share with you this story. Your sermon this past Sunday was very convicting, this one in gratefulness. So, so much so that as I drove to a meeting on Monday morning, I felt that I needed to listen to it again. I tried to pull it up on my phone, but was bummed to see that it wasn't there yet. So I remembered that we had been gone the week before, so I decided to listen to that message instead. And then the person writes, amazing, in capital letters. It was exactly what I needed to hear. I, too, grew up with going to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and that caught my attention. I'm such a rule follower and can get really hung up on that. And I've been to so many studies, listened to more sermons than I can count. But for the first time, it really hit me how God wants a relationship. I know that salvation is by grace, but I... And not because I followed all the rules, yet unconsciously, that's how I live. And even though she was looking for this, she says, I was led to this, and this message was what I needed to hear so much that I listened to it again later that day, and God showed up. 
You know, you might be going in a direction trying to, and God just starts moving these circumstances. You kind of, I don't get it. I don't get why this doesn't make sense to me. But a lot of times God is in the process of moving you to the place where he shows up. And then there's another way that God likes to show up in our lives. He likes, he wants you and me to be carriers of his presence. We have the great opportunity to be those temples that go out and, and you have been given passions and gifts and wired in such a way that only you can touch certain people around you. And I um, was, I received this email from a person who doesn't even go from our, to our church and, and listens by podcast. I had met this person that had come to the church one time and I met them. I know who they are. And, and they said, um, I'm not sure how your day will be or where you are at in your life, but I want to share with you how important you and your church's ministry has been in my life. You and your church have really been there for me during this past year. At one of the very lowest points, this is such a cool thing. It was such a God thing. God chose to put us next to each other on a plane that I did not even have a ticket for originally. So I'm sitting on this plane. I see this guy. I'm not really sure. I'm kind of going, I think I know him. And he sits next to me. And I then, well, yes. And, and he writes, how great is his plan? I really needed the comfort at that moment that your presence gave. And can I express my gratitude? You're just being there was enough. And I wanted to share this with you to let you know how God works through you at times when you're completely unaware, and I wanted to thank you for being a servant of God. There are people who could say the same, I believe, to many people here. You are carriers of the presence of God. You have the ability to show up and to touch their life. And some of it's going to be a matter of Are you willing to let him show through you? God, I believe, wants for us to not just in faith trust that he's present, but I believe he has moments where he wants to wow those around you and even yourself. So we're going to look at that this Christmas and experience. Experience, I hope, together his Christmas presence.